Thanks, John. Thank you all. Good to see you guys. Good to be back with you. Uh, I heard, heard Justin did an awesome job. He's an amazing teacher. He swims in the deep water every time he gets in the pool. Amen. He's, uh, he's an amazing guy, and uh, I'm grateful for Patrick, Patrick Morley and uh, Kingdom Racing. Well, these are exciting days, and I love the ways that God equips the saints to minister to each other. When we left Peter, he had been restored by Jesus. Remember, Jesus says to him three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you really love me? And uh, Peter answers him, and Jesus says, Feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, care for my flock. And I guess I I come back to you with this uh, sense that if God can use Peter dramatically, as he did, then God can use any of us. And that if God um, helped Peter find his great purpose in life, that God will also help us. And when I think about somebody finding their vision for life and God's purpose for their lives, I always think of that, that character in that movie um, named Simon Birch, uh, the diminutive uh, little boy, the dwarf, who had this overwhelming sense that God had a great purpose for his life. And I want us to catch just a couple uh, clips from that this morning. Here's uh, the first clip. Me too. I think God made me the way I am for a reason. Well, I'm glad that, um, that your faith uh, helps you deal with your, um, you know, your, your condition. That's not what I mean. I think I'm God's instrument. That he's going to use me to carry out his plan. Well, it's wonderful to have faith, Simon, but uh, let's not overdo it. Well, there's the first clip. And, you know, the preachers never come off very good in those Hollywood things, but that's about as bad as it gets right there. (laughs) I'd forgotten how bad that looked, Gary. Thank you for that. Um, You know, God, God breathing upon us. And what I see in Simon Birch is this enthusiasm and When God breathes upon our lives, he awakens a new enthusiasm. A.W. Tozer said, God dwells in a state of perpetual enthusiasm. That is, uh, he, he is always enthusiastic. He is delighted with all that is good, lovingly concerned about all that is wrong. God pursues his labors with a fullness of zeal. No wonder when the Spirit came at Pentecost as a sound of a rushing mighty wind, and sat in tongues of fire on every forehead. Whatever else happened at Pentecost, one thing that cannot be missed by the most casual observer is the upsurge of moral enthusiasm. Those first disciples burned with a steady inward fire. They were enthusiastic to the point of complete abandon. And I want us to see that particularly uh, in the life of the Apostle Peter. So um, Acts chapter 2, let's look at just another chapter in his story. I think uh, we've seen Peter at his worst, denying Jesus. Now let's see Peter at his best when God's great purpose for his life is fulfilled. And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, verses um, 1 to 13, and then especially verses 36 to 41. If you want to stand with me, that'd be great. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house, the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing. 
from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears him in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. And as he continues to preach, in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Thank you. You may be seated. Remember the Tower of Babel? If you're reading the scriptures through with us again this year in the book of Genesis, there's that great story where it says this group of men built this tower with the intention, if you remember, their design was to make a name for themselves. I suppose all of us run into that from time to time, probably in your area of work and mine as well. There are those who are out to make a name for themselves, and God thwarts that effort in the story of the Tower of Babel and scatters the people and gives them different languages. What we see in Acts chapter 2 is that miracle worked in reverse. Notice that God speaks the truth through his disciples to people from all these different nations. I think there are like 13 represented there. And he speaks the truth to them. And, And notice that it's not to make their names great, but to make his name great. When we do God's work in God's way, God gives wonderful power. And what I want you to see in this passage is the way that they wondered. That is, um, Luke basically exhausts the Greek vocabulary, which is pretty tough to do, with uh, words that describe uh, their their wonder. And especially, I, I emphasize in verse 12, amazed and perplexed. That's the word that is used also in verse 7. Utterly amazed. These people were amazed with wonder at what God was doing. When Peter preached and explained the story of Jesus, the people repented and were baptized and received the Holy Spirit. And my word to you this morning is that because we were created by a wonderful God, we were made to experience wonder. It's kind of in our spiritual DNA. And most of us, most of the world, I would say, is longing for something that is beyond explanation. It is a a desire for something greater, something supernatural, we might say. And I wonder if those who know us ever see us in a state of wonder. Uh, Malcolm Muggeridge said, Lord, help me never to lose 
the wonder. And one of my concerns in our lives is that sometimes we cease to be amazed by grace. We're no longer amazed. We just sort of see that as uh, just the way God works and, and no big deal. They asked one of the French philosophers who was a notorious sinner, uh, what do you plan to do after life is over? He said, well, God will forgive me. And they, he said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, that's God's job. You know, God just does that. He just forgives. Well, I think we should be amazed by the grace of God and amazed by his work in the world. And listen to what A.W. Tozer said. I'm going to come back to him a couple more times today. But A.W. Tozer, author and pastor, said, If the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on without interruption. that's That's a sort of stunning indictment. He said, But if you took the early church and took the Holy Spirit out of the equation, 95% of what they did would have ceased because the Holy Spirit was in everything they were doing. And sometimes we're tempted to believe that what, what we do, we do on our own, that it's about us. If it is to be, then it's up to me. But when we fulfill Christ's commission in the fullness of his spirit, the wonderful God who lives in us will awaken wonder in the lives of others. I mean to say we should so be filled with the wonder of God that when others look at our lives, they wonder what it is that makes us the way that we are. When the God of wonders fills us, the world will wonder. You see that in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, where when... Uh, the Spirit of God comes upon them, what happens is um, everybody takes notice and they hear the truth spoken in their own language. It's a, it's a remarkable story. It happens, notice, when they were all together. I think God honors unity and community and when they were committed to each other, they had learned the lesson of prayer. Um, Justin teaches on that as well as anybody I know and when the disciples had learned the lesson of Gethsemane, remember they abandoned Jesus after they refused to pray. Peter's fallen asleep. Narcoleptic disciples can't keep their eyes open. But, but then in the book of Acts, what we learn is they've learned the lesson of prayer and they've come together and then God comes upon them and works in their lives. It's 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion. It's 10 days after his ascension. And it says, and here's the word, suddenly, verse 2, suddenly, you know suddenly, that word, um, we were on vacation overseas years ago, and we ended up getting into a restaurant after a long uh, day, late at night. We've, you know, 50 people have been riding on a bus, and uh, we're waiting for the food to come, and they're not ready for us. And so we're sitting there for about 45 minutes, and we don't even have crackers. I mean, we have nothing, and everybody's a little bit irritated. And so I just stepped over and said to the waitress, we're, we're really anxious to get some sleep, and so we'd like to eat uh, quickly. And uh, the maitre d', who actually spoke good English, but not as good as he thought, came over, and he said, your soup is coming suddenly. And that sounded a little scary to me, you know. Um, I'm not ready for sudden soup. It sounds kind of splashy to me. But suddenly, the Spirit comes upon them in verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, and it fills the house. And they declare, if you see it there in verse 11, the wonders of God in our own tongues, the people say. That is, they're telling us the great things that God has done. What I love about our wonderful God is that He fills us. And von Sinzendorf looked at the... uh, at the um, Christians on, the, on their way to the United States on the boat and said they were a God-intoxicated people. Ephesians 5.18 says we are to be filled with the Spirit. Vance Havner said we're not going to move this world by criticism of it or by conformity to it, but by combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. And this filling of God is not just a, a one-time 
event. We receive the Spirit one time, but, but Ephesians 5.18 says we're to be continually filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, living in the power of the Spirit. And when we do, then these words begin to emerge. In verse 7, they, the people were standing outside themselves. They were utterly amazed. The great works of God, verse 11, again, they stood outside themselves. That's the word for amazed or astonished. Uh, they were at a loss. They couldn't explain it any, in any other way. God had done something great in them. And uh, the amazing thing to me is when I read commentators on this, and like William Barclay who says, well, it really wasn't that much of a miracle. The people who were there could have understood if he'd just spoken in Aramaic and Greek, you know. It wasn't that big of a deal. And uh, I look at that, and I think that would have been amazing to the people there who said, we hear in our own dialect, in our own languages, the great works of God being spoken. Earl Hicks is one of our men. Uh, we have 11 people in Kenya right now, and, and Earl is kind of a veteran of mission trips. Uh, he was featured in the Chronicle some years ago. He's been on all these mission trips all over the world. He's a builder. He's a worker. And uh, last Thursday at our Bible study, he took me aside, and he was heading out that afternoon for Kenya. And he said, let me tell you a story. He said, you want, you want to know why I go on mission trips? He said, years ago, I went with Fran Ramsey. Dr. Fran Ramsey is one of our members who has done some amazing work in, the, in, in Southeast Asia. And uh, he said, I went with Fran. And he said, uh, I was just in Thailand, and he said, I was walking around, and I met this young woman who was part of the church there, and uh, we were talking, and, and uh, she helped me understand all that was going on. And he said, later, I talked to uh, another lady within the city, and I said, hey, do you know this young lady that I was talking to? And I called her by name, and she said, yeah, I know her. How do you know her? And she said, he said, well, I met her yesterday, and she was helping me with my ministry. And she said, but that's amazing. She doesn't speak a word of English. I was talking to her earlier this week. And Hicks said, well, I don't speak a word of Thai. And he said, Dwayne, I don't know how to explain it, but we were able to communicate all day long. And he said, the only way I can explain it is that God was our translator. Well, I, I don't know what happened that day. I don't know exactly what happened at Pentecost, but I don't believe that uh, these people all spoke the same language and that they weren't amazed. Howard Hendricks said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, the church is stuttering. We're not uh, able to communicate. And uh, I'm not surprised that not everybody believes that God does miracles. I'm just a little surprised when the church doesn't believe that God does miracles. Um, you know, Fred Cameron sang so well this past Sunday that uh, our God is the God who does miracles. And we can believe in miracles because we believe in God. So God did something extraordinary here. And notice it was a specific communication in languages that people could understand. These people were from all over the world. And the amazing thing is that as they spoke... The people were amazed, and then Peter begins to preach, and he begins to explain what's happening. So God fills them, and the people are in this state of amazement, and then Peter begins to explain it. He begins to interpret it for them, and when we witness to the wonderful story of Jesus, as Peter does, and tells this story, I believe the world will wake up to the God of wonder. So in verse 22, he talks about he must become a witness. That's the word he uses. A witness is somebody who tells what they have seen. And we are all witnesses of the fact of the resurrection, he says in verse 32. And in verse 40, it says he warned them to uh, free themselves from this uh, wicked generation. Again, the word is a word of witness. At a revival in Sevierville, Tennessee, a, a barber was, uh, uh, was saved. He became a Christian. And the preacher said to him, you need to, you're in a, in a public place. You have a chance to talk to other people about Jesus. And, and he said, well, I wouldn't know how to do that. And he said, well, you know, just do it casually. I mean, just as you're talking with people, explain to them about Jesus. You know, ask them if they've got their house in order. Ask them if they're prepared to die. Ask them, you know. And so the barber, uh, first guy comes in and wants a shave. The barber puts the, uh, you know, the hot lather on his, on it. And he's, you know, he's, he's kind of sharpening his blade here. And he looks at the guy and says, 
are you prepared to die? And the guy ran out with the lather still on it, you know, still had the shaving cream on his face as he ran away. Well, the word of our witness comes from God. Like the, the Lord said to young Jeremiah in, in chapter 1, verse 9, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, don't worry about what you're going to say. It's more important to be willing to say something for God um, than to worry about what we're going to say. And, in fact, God will give us the words to speak. Al Bracca um, was a man who was in uh, Tower 1 in the World Trade Center. He was on the 105th floor. And uh, when the... When, uh, when the buildings came down, the story is uh, from the people who survived that experience, uh, those who were emailing out to loved ones and things uh, who didn't survive, was that there was a man there leading the people in prayer. Um, a few referred to Al by name. He led 50 co-workers in prayer when they realized they were not going to escape from that building. We never know when our moment is going to come. And Peter, uh, for all of his flaws and all of the mistakes he had made, when his moment came to stand and speak, he was ready to stand and deliver. Let's check another clip from, uh, from Simon Birch. I want to s- see not just the uh, preacher doubting uh, Simon, but I want to see Simon uh, actually fulfill his purpose. Oh, my God. 
book called uh, um, A Prayer for Owen Meany. Um, what I love about that story is that he finds his purpose and that in his moment when it's time for him to stand, he speaks and um, God uses him. You know, it can be as simple as uh, Timothy Johnson, a pastor, explains going through uh, um, security at an airport at Baltimore, Washington, and uh, there was a man there whose job it was to go through the bags, and this guy happened to have a silver ring on his finger and it had a cross on it and uh, this pastor Timothy Johnson noticed it and this guy was you know searching through his bag and he resisted the uh, desire to to help the guy with that and finally he said uh, hey I noticed your ring has a cross on it and this is what the guy said yeah the ring means I'm a follower of Jesus and he said one of the things I look for when I'm looking through these bags is dynamite but he said the Greek word dunamis which gives us the word dynamite means power as a Christian, I know all the power belongs to God. So while I'm here doing my job, he's up there doing his job. It all belongs to him, and he's here with us. Thanks, Mr. Johnson. Have a great trip. And in 30 seconds, he very clearly explained what he believed because somebody asked him about the ring on his finger. Um, 98% of uh, Christian surveys say they've never talked to anybody about becoming a Christian. Uh, And some will just say, well, evangelism is not my spiritual gift. I know those people who have that gift. But what we find in Jesus' commission to the church is that evangelism is not given to a few gifted people, but to the whole church. And what the scripture really says is, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. So uh, as you go, wherever you go today, my prayer is that God will use you and uh, just as he used Peter, and in that one day, the church grew by a multiple of 26, from 120 to 3,120. That's astonishing. That's amazing. That is wonderful in its own right. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said, and I'll leave you with this today. Anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. Thank you.